to what's worth reflecting on? Yeah. I think it's funny because when I saw the headline on Facebook, I sort of chuckled, leap of faith, because it, it's catchy, but I, I was trying to think of the phrase of the word for trust, but it's only catchy for trust unless it's trust in the heart. I was thinking like, I said the word trust has to have come up, has to come up in a conversation, and for you to bring it up early was, was really precise, specifically in my own practice, you get to a point where it's not even trusting, you don't want to say a word, it's almost, it's almost like there's no correct word, you can say, well, it's trust in the eternal, you know, it's trust in the heart, it's, 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 it's trust in the flow, it's, it's, you can make up all these things, but when it comes down to it, it's just that, it's just this peaceful trust that is uh, that's there. And it's funny, even when you mentioned that there was distrust at the monastery, there was still trust. Yeah. And, uh, and so it's, and like you said, it's at every point, even through the, like I was talking to Jason earlier, the difficult experiences are, even, for me personally, I even embraced even, not more, but they're embraced because there's still trust that there's going to be some amazing wisdom extracted or liberation or whatever, but... Um, Leap of faith, but you can't say leap of trust, you know. But it, it, it's 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 deep, it's a deep trust. Yeah. 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 Um, I my interest was piqued times when you were saying like you just said it, you just said something, something was right to do, or something was just completely wrong to do, and I was. <laughs> I'm curious as to how you know, like what, you know, and I don't think that's really a question I can answer. But, um, you know, what's, what's, how can you tell when you're, you know, not totally overreacting to something or not underreacting to something? How do you overcome fears, the sense of obligation, uh, just the uncertainty to take, take that leap? I mean, it's a really important question, and and I, and I would imagine different people would have different responses to it. And what I can say now is, is, is that I've learned to trust my body. You know, so you know, we started with standing meditation and sitting meditation, and made some effort to get the alignment right, so that we can learn to relax with the body. You know, for me, the body is a really good um, signaling of when it's right. You know go this way, that's right. Because when it's right like that, you know, there's a sense of openness and relaxation and trusting. And when there's doubt or hesitation or doesn't feel right, there's a sense of tightness and contraction and a kind of pulling away from the experience. So I've got a kind of somatic sounding board, you know, is to feel out from really, like, you know, inside out, you know, whether it feels right or not. You know, so it's inevitable with stuff that there's things where there's like a mixture. You know, there's fear and uncertainty and overwhelm and confusion and, and all, you know, that's normal. But then sometimes there's a pathway that emerges or like uh, some options that emerge. And you can have like a spectrum of, of, well, that feels right, but only, you know, 60%. And that feels right, but that's 70%. That feels right, it's 80 And that feels really right. Like, yeah, there's stuff, but it's like, that's the right way to go. You know, so part of what, you know, I was navigating, like, with some of these things was like, you know, elephant through an eye of a needle. 
you know? It's like, it's, it seems logically totally impossible. Like, there's absolutely no way you can get an elephant through an eye of a needle. You know, it's too big and that's too small. But as a somatic experience, it's a matter of trusting that you're moving one step in front of the other in this direction. And then you forget about the elephant. You're not bringing the elephant. You're just taking one step, one step, one step, one step. And it's that direction. That's the clarity, that it's that direction. And then you let the elephant sort the elephant out. You know, all of the thoughts, the worries, the doubts, concerns, everything that doesn't feel like it's going to possibly able to manage to get through there. It's like you take the one step and then see what it feels like. Take the next step and see what it feels like. And if the doubts continue to emerge, then that's part of it. You know, see, well, how can you give more space so that the choices that you're making allows the whole thing to come into more sense of relaxation? But, you know, there's lots of situations that I've been through where it's like I absolutely didn't have all the answers. You know, but what I could do is I could trust the path. But the big thing was is learning how to trust the uncertainty, you know. I mean, lots of times where I had to just trust the uncertainty. I was moving in a direction that felt right, and there was like 10,000 things that I didn't know, but that was the right direction. So learning to relax in the uncertainty. You know, you can't locate yourself. You can't map it. You don't know the territory. You're not sure what's going to happen. You don't know what the consequences are. But that's still the right place to go and to trust that. And that, you know, initially that's like one of the, like, like you know, death. You prefer death than that. You know, every, that's like, you know, you don't want to go there. Mm-hmm. But that actually is one of the most powerful places for practice, is relaxing where you can't put a map or a conceptualization or a something on it. You know, you can't do it. And you just have to trust each minute that the next place of opening and relaxation is going to come. Does that answer? Does that speak to what you're saying? Yeah, okay. I, um, in listening you speak, I'd like to know if you have any reflections on it. sounds like you spent a good deal of your time with, with different groups, different people, and a good deal of your time traveling, wandering on your own, so you've been kind of like a singular practitioner and and been part of a larger segment. How how are those experiences different, been different for you and what you've learned internally and how is it harder? How is it been So I went to the monastery after having been a very, very dedicated lay practitioner for 10 years. Okay. And so that was the entrance of monastic life. And yet as a lay practitioner, you know, I wasn't living in Sangha. I wouldn't find Sangha, but I wasn't living in Sangha. So the blessings of the Sangha, or the power of the Sangha, is that you're living with other people who have the same value system. So, you know, even if it's dysfunctional, there's a power in it, in the sense that there's similar values that people have, there's support to keep the precepts, there's the requisites so that you're not having to spend an enormous amount of time just keeping a roof over your head and food on the table, you know, and that there was friendship, even if there was challenges, okay? 
And the friendship, some of the friendship was really remarkable friendship because you have people who were very committed practitioners. Okay? So there's a lot of blessings in living in Sangha, you know. And, you know, and I think that's probably, well, it's supportive, you know, and that's why people can move and gravitate in that direction. Yeah. But it's also important to learn how to not be dependent on others and how to find the ability to nourish and resource oneself and how to be able to be in right relationship with one's own process so that you're skillfully um, advising oneself or monitoring what's happening, you know. And so, you know, for me certainly part of the challenge but also part of the strength of being on my own was is that a lot of the stuff which you could refer to others for counsel even if you didn't follow it you could at least ask them for it and I had to be self-reflective in terms of come up with the goods myself and come up with the goods with myself not when you know things were you know bright and shiny but when things were shaking and trembling and and, and navigate that in a way which was skillful, you know. And, I mean, that, that was probably one of the scariest times of my life, you know, doing that. And yet, because I did that, I had the strength to do the next thing, which was to walk from the monastery without any support. Because I knew that I could survive. And I knew I could survive even if I wasn't feeling bright and shiny and rosy so that I could navigate, you know, dismantling, you know, a dismantling process without a lot of external supports around to hold it. And, you know, so the, the incredible fear of what that evoked in me um, gave me incredible strength in trust and conviction that the path and the practice actually um, takes care, you know. And that I have enough discernment operating, so even if I'm in a, like an extremely dismantled state, I can still make the right choices, you know. And unless you've been through something like that, you don't know it. You know, you might guess, you might speculate, but you don't know. I knew, you know, I knew it. And then because I knew it, then I was prepared to do something and none of the other sisters were, you know. They, they didn't they didn't do that they made different choices and many of them said to me that they you know they they couldn't do it you know they couldn't do it so so that so there's there's the value of learning how to be in community and how to support community how to develop community how to cultivate community and then there's the value of learning how to to be one's own best friend, how to attend to one's own needs as they shift and change, as you're dealing with stuff which is early or dealing with stuff which is uh, shaking or tumultuous, and how to find the resources and friends and to find a pace and to let it unfold in a way which is skillful. And, you know, my intuition about what is needed in our contemporary society is community that has the ability to do both. That actually can support people in being on their own and also is um, sophisticated in its capacity to support each other to do the work that's needed. 
and that's my sense of what is actually needed right now is to have both yeah yeah setting so we were two and a half hours drive from anything okay we were in the middle of nowhere and the road in there was a nightmare so it was a 45 minute journey and it would like it was so rough that you felt like your ligaments were separating from your bones when you made it okay so it wasn't like you know getting on a freeway you know it was like a rough ride and so the sense of isolation was extreme yeah and it wasn't a very cohesive community it was actually quite fragile community and he was offered the position of being the power person so he was given the position of being the big deal dude or the boss so a big deal dude with a big deal problem is you know has quite an effect and you know, in retrospect, I probably would, could have been able to weather it and negotiate his shifting out of there. But his, his demeanor was so absolutely activating, you know, like absolute heavy-duty male authority trip, you know. And being in this remote place, you know, I couldn't, I wasn't navigating my own internal territory well enough to stay with the process to set it, to allow it to shift. But, you know, when I think back about what happened, again, you know, as unsettling as that was, that was absolutely part of my own preparation process to do the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one. You know, you know, it scared the eebie-jeebies out of me. Not him. But, you know, all of a sudden being on the road without having any place, you know, it was just really evocative, you know. But when having gone through that, again, you know, there was much more confidence that came. You know, so I remember, so I was still traveling around all over the place, and somebody would say, where are you from? And I'd go into an absolute panic, you know, because I couldn't answer, you know. You know, in this sense of total shame that I didn't have a place that I could call home. And then, you know, having worked through some of it a little bit more, then I would play. You know, they'd ask me, you know, where I was from, and then I would, you know, I would, you know, I would do things that, that I was comfortable in that position, you know, and just let them know that it was actually a completely weird question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am a 
Initially, you know, what I was dealing with was just absolute resistance. You know, it's like, you know, I would have done anything in the whole universe not to go there. Anything. You know? Every ounce of fur and fang and fight I had was completely dedicated to not going there. And eventually I realized listen, sweetheart, you ain't got no choice, you know? This is your number, and it is up, and you can't escape. And so the, like, the fantasy of disrobing, it was like, well, the only thing that that's going to do is then it's going to make me a completely gelatinous pulp without robes, you know? That's not going to help. It's not going to give me any more ground or any more support to deal with what I was dealing with, which had nothing to do with whether I had robes or I didn't have robes. It was very primary material. So, you know, and because I'm strong-willed and stubborn and, you know, I've got some, some positive qualities, I can use them in my negative pursuits, you know, of resistance. And so I, that whole process of fighting... You know, I took it to the nth degree. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't miss out a single opportunity to fight. You know, it was absolutely total, one hundred percent wholehearted. But when I I extended that to its ultimate limit and realized that no matter what I did, I would still be in the same position. That there was no place I could go and there was nothing I could do that I was going to be able to sidestep this process. And then when I got that kind of internal instruction that I, ha- that I was to do it in robes, you know, that I couldn't even distract myself with the whole process of disrobing, then it was like, okay, you know, I give up. You know, I just work here. I don't know who's in charge, you know. But and then and then at that point I realized okay so if my job is just to focus on my work then what's my work and so and then I knew what my work was I knew what was up I knew the this personal structures that were exposed that needed attending to and and I knew how to work with them both internally and I knew the support that I needed in order to help me deal with that and I cleared the decks. So basically I wasn't doing anything except doing this work. Okay. So I was living in a highly specialized situation which, you know, a mom with children ain't in. You know, you just ain't in that kind of a situation. But I created that situation in order to do that work and then eventually after fighting and kicking and screaming I got to the place where I realized, okay, well let's just get down to business. Once I said that, you know, let's just get down to business, then it started to shift quite quickly. So it was the resistance that was the main thing. 
you know, because I had enough smarts to get the support systems in place. You know, so I wasn't, you know, I, I had support in place. But the resistance was just uh, total, you know, it was 100%. And I have more respect for that resistance because, you know, that kind of dismantling where you cannot locate yourself in anything is not a joke, you know. It absolutely is not a joke. And, you know, whatever structures are in place, it's like they don't want to go there. They don't want to know. You know? So not in age, not in culture, not in body, not in sexual orientation, not in family, not in country, not in religious identity, not in practice history. There was absolutely no place where I could locate myself. Nowhere. You know? And yet I was, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't psychotic, you know, I was functioning. But that's exactly what needed to happen in order to get to the place where this stuff had actually constructed and, and, and allow something to emerge that wasn't based on the old patterning, you know. But, you know, wow. So, you know, the practices is of really, it's a simple practice of what's happening and how are you relating to it. What's happening and how are you relating to it? What's happening and how are you relating to it? And any time you get any sense of resistance, then one has to meet the resistance and soften into the resistance, receive the resistance and allow the resistance to dissolve. You know, that's the path. this whole topic of gender inequity, all right? You know, so, you know, one of the things that I remembered as a very, I was a novice, I wasn't even a nun yet. You know, that this whole gesture, to, this is Angela, yeah? And so the way it had been when I came to the monastery is, is that everybody was allowed to make this gesture to the monks, and the monks were not allowed to reciprocate it to anybody except another monk, okay? And I remember going into an absolute rage, you know, that this was just ridiculous. And then I was talking to another monk about it, you know, that I didn't understand what this was about and why. And, and, and his response to me was, is that, well, nuns have a greater opportunity for practicing humility. And I wanted to flatten him. I mean, I just wanted to lay him out like cold, you know? <laughs> 
didn't. I didn't smack him. I didn't lay him out. You know, I restrained myself. And I went into the forest, and I was absolutely livid with rage. You know, and I was walking back and forth, and I was absolutely livid. And I don't know how long I was livid for, but for a long time. And then at some point, there was the thought, if I give up being angry, I'm letting down the cause. And I thought, well, that's very interesting. Where is that coming from? And so, you know, I had some kind of an insight that being angry was allowing me to feel like I was connected to something that was important. And that if I gave up the anger, I was giving up the thing that was important. And so in that moment, I could see that if I gave up the anger, I didn't have to give up something that was important. And that I could actually find a way of being peaceful with the circumstance and come to terms with it. And so the way I came to terms with it then was by realizing, well, actually, being respectful of others is beautiful. you know. And I don't suffer for being able to be able to do that. And if they suffer because they can't, that's actually their problem that I don't need to take on board. So I don't need to take on their trip. That's their trip, and they can sort out their trip. It's not my trip. So that worked for, what, 10 years, 15 years? That worked for a long time. And then it came to a different understanding, and the different understanding wasn't a question of their trip, but the fact that what I was beginning to see was something new, which was it wasn't just a question of surrendering to the cause. It was a question of seeing that this patterning was causing the nuns to condition themselves so that they couldn't see clearly. It was actually twisting them up so that they could never authentically connect with their own internal confidence. It was like living under a 10,000-pound stone that was crushing them. And so it wasn't a question of the same thing. It was a question of a new thing. And the new thing was not resistance. It was conviction. I knew this stuff was no good. All right? So conviction, it wasn't coming from anger. It was coming from clarity. But it took what, 15 years? To get through the anger, understand the anger, see the anger, work with the anger, until I could actually get to see the place. This is not anger. This is conviction. This stuff is no good, and it does nobody no good. And it's not helpful to support something that's no good. That's a different story than resistance or aversion. I knew. And I was prepared to stand on that knowing. Because I could see what was happening. You know, people were twisting up. They were being damaged. You know, people who had tremendous conviction were, were, couldn't, couldn't live the life because it was harming them. Well, when you make a commitment to non-harm and you see something that's harmful, it's like, you can't do that. I can't, you know. And I didn't care what kind of loops that they were going in their heads about why and how come and the tradition and Vinya and all of that. It was like, no. You guys have missed the point. This stuff is harmful, and I have not signed up for something that's harmful. You know? So for me, and that process of staying in relationship with the feelings, with the aversion, with the anger, until one knows that, allows it to release, until it turns into conviction, that's where the faith comes in and the persistence. Because when you're acting from anger, it has a totally different quality to it than when you're acting from conviction. You can't argue with that, with conviction. With anger, you can put all kinds of hangers on it, you know, and labels on it. Because it's obvious, it's anger. 
You know, and anger has a residue in it that's not helpful, even if it's generated from something which is motivated by that which is positive. So in my situation with this particular topic, we're talking about 15 years of hanging out with anger and resistance and aversion and feeling it out and seeing what was happening in my body and seeing what was happening to my confidence, you know, when I would make certain decisions and other decisions until it started to shift and then I knew. And wow, when I knew, it was a really different thing. It was a really different thing. It was like a completely different gravitational field. It had not the same qualities as aversion at all. You know? So, that's my experience. What's your experience with that? What's your experience with that? Uh, I don't know. Feeling like probably overblowing the situation. Like, this really isn't that bad. It sucks and I don't want anything to do with it. Um, But I don't know... Not knowing what the other options are necessarily, because it might just be a day-to-day thing, requiring some faith, some trust. Um, I'm just going to stick with this because it's tolerable. Whether I disagree with it, whether it makes me depressed, and you know, I just can't stand to get up in the morning when I know this is way important. Well, I'm going to do it because I'm probably just overreacting. But you see, that's coming from, like, if you're feeling depressed and you can't tolerate it, that's coming from a, um, a lack of confidence in your own knowing. And most of us suffer the most from that. We sell ourselves short, you know. And because it's not clear how to navigate out of it, and because it takes risks and saying, this isn't working for me, but I'm actually not sure how to navigate from here to where I think it would be working for me, then our next step is to doubt our own knowing and saying that maybe this is coming from a place where I don't have an accurate assessment of the situation. So in addition to the weight of something which isn't working for you, in addition to the uncertainty of not knowing how to navigate it, then one adds the really quite uh, dismantling doubt that where it's coming from is not authentic. And then with that doubt firmly in place, your energy system has been completely uh, immobilized. It's very hard to move. So for me, that's why it's been helpful to continue to go back to your body sense, to my own body sense, because my body will tell me if this is an overreaction or if what I'm actually navigating is something which actually I cannot go along with. There's a different quality between something which is an emotional reaction or emotional overreaction and something which goes against my deepest values. It feels different. And so as I learn how to read the different feeling tones, then that cuts across this immediate sense of self-doubt which says that I must have gotten the situation wrong. You know, it can't actually be what it is. You know, there must be something wrong with me in reading the situation and my reactions to the situation. So, you know, what I would suggest is to, is to take the experience back into stillness and let your body lead. 
not your thoughts, not your ideas. You know, let your body lead in terms of, you know, what feels right, what feels congruent with your values, what feels like it has integrity, and there's something that you can stand on. And even if you don't have all the answers, I mean, how many times have I done something where I had the answers? You know? It's like it's so unusual that I have the answer. I'm, I'm moving forward on a, on, a, on, a, on a light beam in the midst of an absolute chaos. You know? And there's the trust is, is, is that the answers will emerge if I stay connected to light. And sometimes I have to wait a really long time before they do, or before one next step becomes clear. It's really rare that I get a whole feeling for the answers, you know. But that's what, like, trusting the process and letting the body be the thing that leads is the, for me, that has helped me navigate some of this territory. Because I didn't know. How could I possibly have known? How can anybody know? We don't know. I still don't know. <laughs> yes, please. I, just, I, I have a, an inquiry, actually, but I, I just want to comment on the aversion part real quick from my own experience, and I have a good inquiry. Um, speaking about the, the social aversions, I think that from what I've experienced, exactly what you talked about, and stillness in that patience is that when you enter into a situation where there is some anxiety in a social situation, slight uncomfortability, um, I think the patience, you know, the, sort of the way the universe works, is that if you just wait long enough, it caters to you. Mm-hmm. It presents a situation in which that it caters to that, 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 that reference point that just touches upon that curiosity feature of your personality that just wants to make you jump into it. And uh, that's really what sort of has helped me in social situations. But uh, getting back to the trust, to talking about trust, um, it's, I've meditated on uh, inquiry on trust before, and it's funny because branching up from trust, and this is where the inquiry begins, is uh, judgment and intuition. And so when you when you begin to you say, do I trust myself? Am I making a judgment about this person? Or is it my intuition? Am I making a judgment about this person? Is it, does this person scare me? Or is it my intuition about this person? And so um, I think that it goes back to what you exactly mentioned, is that you enter into a situation where you, um, I don't know whether it's, it has to do with, certainly with the breath, but you, you, you're moving into an area that there is just this sense of like, um, Nothingness, but you, you just really just you, you, you trust and it's, is it intuition? Is, is it the heart? Is it the breath? Is it is it is it, is it it's, it's, it's probably everything. But um, it's uh, so. What is the difference between judgment? Is judgment the beliefs, the concepts, the, the ideas that have been conditioned, and is intuition this sense of trust in the movement? Well, I'm not going to answer your question directly. I'm going to answer it indirectly. Okay. You know, one of the things that happens when living in community is you get feedback. You know, and sometimes the feedback comes and it's loving, and sometimes it's not loving. And sometimes the feedback is mixed, and sometimes the feedback is entirely the projection of the mind state of the person giving it to you. And sometimes it's related to your own stuff. 
And sometimes it's a mixture of the projection of what's happening in their own minds and their own reactions and their own relationship. And it's also related to something that has to do with you and your own stuff. Okay. So this is community. Welcome to community. Okay. And so for me, there was always the sense, well, how do you know? You know, how can you feel? How can you tell? You know, if the stuff that's coming is related to me or it's actually about them. All right. And again, you know, what I developed was like a somatic sounding board. So, you know, when you have a watermelon and you, and you tap it, when it's ripe, there's a certain kind of sound that it gives because the sound reverbs off of the water and it makes a really crisp sound, okay? Well, as a somatic sounding board, if somebody was giving me feedback that had nothing to do with me, then the feeling quality was this very clear, crisp resonance. But if what they were doing was touching on something that actually was about me that it wasn't aware of, then there was a dull feeling because it would enter into my psyche and resonate with the stuff that needed examining that I wasn't aware of, and the feeling tone that came back was dull. It wasn't as crisp. And so when I got a sense that there are different feeling tones related to this thing, it was like bonanzas, it was like eureka, it was like, you know, I just won the lottery. Because it was always very confusing to me of how do I know? And then when I did know, then I could have more confidence in what I was coming from. Because it's really easy not to see our own stuff. You know, ignorance doesn't see itself. That's its nature. And so, you know, a community can point things out. And they can point out things that you're not aware of. But it also can be that it actually has nothing whatsoever to do with you and it has to do with the other person. And so when I could feel that, it was like, it was such a huge relief. So for me, that was really helpful. So rather than try and figure it out linguistically, I tried to figure it out somatically. And that, when I did, when I got that, then that was a real key. Now, obviously, you know, I'm still liable for making mistakes, but it helps me a lot to be able to navigate some of this different stuff of, you know, where is this coming from? And is it stuff to be trusted, or is it stuff just to be patient with because it actually has nothing to do with you and the work that you need to do. It has to do with the other person and their their own internal process. You know? Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I answered your question without answering your question, you know. I didn't use the languaging you were using. I used my own experience. Yeah. Shall we call it quits? Yeah. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.